Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. All right, thank you for Kyle and Rhea reading our text today out of... uh... Acts chapter 9, 32 through 43, we want to welcome everybody that's listening to our podcast and those that are watching online and our Facebook Live community. Let's welcome our Facebook Live community that's watching right now. The best way to experience base wars to be here, but we're so glad that you joined us today. So we're in the book of Acts and we're studying the book of Acts and Rhea and Kyle just read uh, Acts 9, 32 through 43. First thing to say about this text, this part of our study, is this... Uh, that we have two extraordinary miracles in this text. So when we think about the New Testament, one of the things we have to think about is the miraculous. Some people have a lot of trouble with the Bible because of miraculous things. And, of course, liberal people have said, oh, these are myths and they never happen. There's 37 different miracles that Jesus did in the Gospels, 37 different miracles. And then we see that reflected in the book of Acts where the apostles that were trained by Jesus also did miracles. So the couple things to say about miracles, I'd like to do a whole sermon on why miracles are valid and all of that, but that's a a whole different message. But let me just say a couple things about that. A couple things about miracles, why there's miracles in the New Testament. The first thing to say about it is that miracles that were performed by Jesus were not just uh, authenticated or recorded in the Bible, but they're outside sources as well, such as Josephus, uh, a Jewish historian that was living around uh, 100 AD. Actually, he lived earlier than that. He was through the Jewish war in the 66 AD and all that. He gave this comment about uh, Jesus, that he did many miraculous works. And so Jesus had this, this well-known uh, reputation, not only in the New Testament, but historically through different historical writers in what's called the Greco-Roman world. So why that's important is, is that we have evidence and validation of Jesus' miracles, not just in the New Testament, but outside of that. The other thing about it, why did Jesus have... Thousands of people that followed him. We, we do the feeding of the 5,000 sermons, 5,000 people were, that were fed by Jesus. All That's found in every gospel. Or, you, know, uh, you know, scholars always say, hey, listen, that's just men. There's probably 20,000 people. Why are 20,000 people hanging around Jesus? The reason 20,000 people are hanging around Jesus is because Jesus did miraculous works. There, were no, there was no health care, there were no hospitals, and Jesus miraculously healed people. So uh, that's, that's, the, that's the, one of the big things. And if we have trouble believing miracles, it all has to do with our worldview. If we believe in a God, if there is a God who created the universe, which when you look at this amazing world, uh, if there's a God who created the universe, if you have God in the equation, then miracles are not uh, out of the question for sure. So I just wanted to make a comment about that. 
But I, li- I, love, this, uh, I love this story uh, about Jesus, or about the apostle Peter. This is where we're focusing on Peter in Acts chapter 9. Uh, Peter ministering to this guy, Aeneas, and he had been uh, paralyzed for eight years. Eight years. Think about that. Eight years of not being able to walk. Now his name, he has a Greek name. And his name means Trojan champion. Now I don't know when he was named uh, by his parents uh, why he was named Trojan champion. Maybe it's because his father had, had a vision of him being a great athlete or maybe he was a great athlete. But this guy, the persona of Aeneas who's been in been paralyzed for eight years, is he was, he was a champion. He was laudable. He was a person of great vitality. Maybe he was an NFL football player. Maybe he was a great athlete, but he's, his name means Trojan champion. And he's paralyzed, and he's been paralyzed for eight years. Now, where does he live at? He lives in Lydia. Now, Everybody, how many here have no clue where Lydia is? Just raise your hand if you don't know where Lydia is. You don't know where Lydia is? You, you have no idea. Okay, I'm going to help you with that. Let's go to put a map on the, on the uh, screen here. This is uh, to help you kind of understand where Lydia is. Uh, and uh, so here is, let's see, uh, here's Jerusalem. Do you see way down at the bottom? How about that other map that I had for you, the, the white map? Can you put that up there? Let's try that. Okay, okay. everybody see Jerusalem here? Can you see that? That's Jerusalem. That's where Peter was. That's where he was. That's where the, the day of Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit came. I've been to Jerusalem. Some of you have been to Jerusalem. Incredible place. That's where, that's where Jerusalem was. Lydia is northwest. It's over here. It's here. You go to Lydia. Now, what's interesting about that? And, and then we know in the story, he goes from Lydia to Joppa. Now, from Jerusalem to Lydia is this. This is the point. From Lydia, from Jerusalem to Lydia is 22 miles. 22 miles. I grew up in Seaford, and uh, we always knew that if we drove from Seaford to Salisbury, that's about 21 miles. So, uh, and if you go from where Peter goes from Lydia to Joppa, that's 11 miles. So that's really, really close. So how many got an idea how far 22 miles is? How many people maybe drove... Uh, over 20 miles here to get here today. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. You drove over 20, 20 miles. Pretty much, if you come to Gumbert, you drove over 20 miles. Pretty much everybody. So, you know, that's kind of like 20 is 22 miles. The point is, is that Peter ministered to this guy by the name of Ananias, the Trojan champion. He was very close by. Peter didn't get in a boat. He didn't go to Rome. He didn't have to go into Turkey like Paul did. He was close by. He was nearby. And here's what I want you to see in this text today. I want you to see that there's plenty of ministry close by. There's a lot of people near us that need to be ministered to. Sometimes we think the only way to minister is to go on a mission trip. And I'm all about mission trips. And I know some people that they never really minister unless they use their passport. You get them on a mission trip, 
Take them across, you know, somewhere. Go to Guatemala, go to Albania, go to Mexico. They got their passport. They're on a mission trip. They're all fired up. Man, they're loving on kids. They're serving kids. And then they come home and they don't do anything. Listen, ministry is helping people that are hurting regardless of where they live. Say it with me. Ministry is helping people that are hurting regardless of where they live. Now, please don't ever hear me put down missions or put down mission trips and all that. I've been on a bunch of mission trips. I can just talk about mission trips forever. And I love to go on mission trips. But listen, this wasn't a mission trip. This was close by, and there's plenty of ministry nearby. You don't, hey, listen, listen to this. There's lots of people in your zip code that need ministering to. There's lots of people nearby that need ministering to. Jerusalem was only 22 miles, or Lydia was only 22 miles. It's now called, Lydia is now called Lod. It's still a real town. Lydia was only 22 miles from Jerusalem, real close for Peter to get there. And then when he went from Lydia to Joppa, which is the next part of the story we're going to talk about, that was 11 miles. So lots of ministry is close by. There's ministry to be done right around us. There's ministry in, around us where we work. There's ministry in our neighborhood. You don't even have to go to somebody else's neighborhood. There's ministry in your neighborhood. There's people around you that need to be ministered to. So I was playing tennis on Wednesday. I was down to Lewis, Rehoboth area. I drive down there every morning, get up at six o'clock, drive and play tennis before I work. That's why I look so amazing. So I'm down there, and I'm playing my buddy Rick. We're playing tennis, and we're having a good time. God anointed me. I played like a tennis god, and I was having such a good time. But we were thinking about our friend, our friend Mike, who's one of my best buddies, who has blood cancer. And while we're playing, we're talking about Mike because Mike's at the Tunnel Cancer Center And he's having a new treatment, a new type of treatment for his cancer. And he has to sit in a chair for six hours to get that chemo treatment. So while we're playing, we're thinking about Mike. It's less than six miles away. So when we got done playing tennis, I said to my buddy Rick, Hey, listen, let's make a video for Mike, and we stood in the parking lot and we made this video encouraging him and telling him about the game and telling him how I kicked Rick's butt and telling him about all that stuff. And we were just having this wonderful, wonderful time. And we encouraged him. And he's six miles away. Six miles away. Been many times where my friend Mike, where when we get done playing tennis, we'll walk out in the parking lot. We're, in the, we're not in church, we're in the tennis parking lot, and, and those guys, uh, they don't look at me as a pastor. I'm not a pastor to them. I'm just a regular guy to them. I'm not a pastor. I'm a Christian. I'm just a Christian guy when I'm around them. I'm a guy that loves Jesus, and so I will walk in the parking lot, and I'll put my arm around my friend Mike, and I'll pray for him. He went to Johns Hopkins a few weeks ago, and 
I just right in the parking lot there, people coming in and going to play tennis and going into the workout center. I put my arm around him and prayed over him and asked the Lord to bless him as he meets this new doctor and just prayed for him. Because ministry is nearby. It's the people that you know. Ministry is right in your zip code. Ministry is right in my zip code. Ministry is all around us. And you don't have to go use your passport. You don't have to go on a mission trip to minister. You can minister right where you are. Can you say a big amen? Now, I don't think it's like don't go on mission trips. I think you go on mission trips, and I think you bless people in the third world countries, and I think you do all that, but I think it's a both and. You minister there, and you minister here as well. But in this story, I just lost my mic there. This is, you know you're preaching good when you lose the mic, you know? But it was nearby. Lydia... 22 miles, right there. What I love about our church, what I love about Bayshore, is when church gets done today, there's going to be 15 or 19 people that are going to get in that white van that's parked on the parking lot here. I get the ministry reports every Monday, and there's 15 or 19 people that drive about 20 miles to Salisbury. And they have soup and sandwiches loaded up. And they pull into the poor, poor section of Salisbury. And those homeless people gather around. And they'll minister to 7,500 people. And they'll give them sandwiches. And they'll give them soup. Because ministry is not ministry is just not overseas. Ministry is in Salisbury as well. Can you say a big amen? And there's ministry right around you. Ministry right around you. It says here, it says that Peter uh, traveled about the country, went to visit the saints of Lydia. Then he found a man named Ananias. He found a man named Ananias. Now the word found there, I looked that up in the Greek and I did some research on what that word means. And the word is a really incredible word. It's used like 173 times in the New Testament. It doesn't mean that he just kind of like, bumped into this man. It could mean that. It has a little bit of that, but it's more used this way, that he was actively looking for something to find. He was actively looking for something to find. So how about this, this week cooking Thanksgiving dinner? How many of you, you know, were kind of rummaging through the drawers trying to find a measuring cup? How many were, you know, you just couldn't find it. You know, trying to find the measuring cup, trying to find the bowl to put the potatoes in. You're, you can't find it and all that stuff. Or maybe as a man, you've been out there working in the, in the garage and you can't find your out and rent sense. You're, looking, you're, you're purposely looking for something. That's what that word means. It's the word used that when the wise men went to find Jesus in Bethlehem. It's that word. They're purposely looking for something. So I wonder about this. I wonder if every day when you get up 
and you recognize that ministry is nearby, that ministry is close to you, I wonder if you are like Peter who are purposely looking for opportunities to minister to people. You're purposely looking. You're, 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 you have an objective during that day as you're going through your day to look for somebody that God has put in your path for you to minister to. So I think that's what Peter was. Peter was... He left Jerusalem and he's going to Lydia. And as he's going to Lydia, he's going to Lydia with his antenna up looking for who God wants him to minister to. And he found this man by the name of Ananias. We're having my men's group the other night on Tuesday. Wonderful group of guys that come to our house and we cook food and and we study the word and we just pray together. Just great guys. I just love this men's Bible study. It's a one of the great highlights of my life, men, eight, ten men sit around my dining room table and we just talk about Jesus, we talk about life, we talk about temptation, we talk about all the stuff that we go through and uh, these guys are growing in the Lord and got some new guys that are coming that, that need to be there, got all that going on and just really, really, really cool thing. But one of the guys was saying this week, he was uh, telling our group, he said one of his friends has pancreatic cancer. And he said, he's been his friend, and he said, he loves this guy, and he said, and this guy runs a business, the guy in my men's group, he runs a business. And he's a busy guy, he's a successful guy. And he gets it done. He's out there, got a really, really good business. And he's got so much going on. And he says that, uh, he said, he, he, you know, he'll be on, he'll be on you know, uh, uh, be on, uh, missions and things he has to do and and he'll ride right by God's house and he has this guilt man I should go see this guy so he'd been feeling the guilties about that how many here how many have ever felt that felt the guilties about something raise your hand have you ever felt the guilties you feel the guilties you know he's been feeling the guilties about it but he's got stuff to do he's a businessman and he's working and he's tithing thank the Lord so he's doing his thing so he's at the battery store this week. He's at the battery store, and he's there buying some batteries. This battery store up in Millsboro, I don't know anything about it, but it's a battery store up there, and he's buying these batteries, and he's standing in line, getting ready to pay for these batteries. He has this guy behind him that says to the cashier, hey, don't take that guy's money. It's no good. And it was the guy that had pancreatic cancer. And my friend said he put down the batteries, and they stepped off the side, and they spent about an hour just talking together. And the guy said, my tumor's shrinking. I'm getting better. And, and my friend in the men's group said, hey, that's a miracle. And he ministered to this guy for like an hour. And, and my friend said I, he had all this stuff to do in his company that day. But he said he took that hour to spend with his, his friend that had pancreatic cancer. And he just spent time talking to him. He said, you know what, Pastor Danny? He said, you know, I got all my work that, done that day. I called up because... I just, I, you know, I just was supposed to spend time with that guy. Let me, let me tell you something. Here's something you need to remember. Some of the people that you run into during the day and your busy schedule, and you got to get work done, you got stuff to do, you got an agenda, but listen, you got to be ready to find people that God puts you in your path to minister to because ministry is not far away. Ministry is near, can you say big amen? Say it with me. Ministry is not far away. Ministry is near. So he ministered to him and 
took care of him. I'm going to say one more thing about this, uh, this guy here that Ananias got healed. He'd been, uh, he'd been sick for, for eight years. Eight years. Eight years. Listen to this. Listen to this. And God healed him. His condition and his situation changed. Listen to this right here. What has been will not always be. What has been will not, will not always be. Some of you are in a, a situation where you feel like it's always going to be this way. I'm always going to be in this condition. I'm always going to be in this situation. I'm always going to be in this predicament. I'm always going to be depressed. I'm always going to struggle. I'm always going to hate my job. I'm always going to have this. And so you've locked into a hopelessness mentality and you've said to yourself, what has been will always be. And I'm here to tell you, this story teaches us what has been will not always be. In a moment, God can change your circumstances. In a moment, God can change things. He had been sick and paralyzed. This Trojan champion, this Trojan champion, this Greek athlete, had been paralyzed for eight years. And Peter said, Jesus Christ heals you. And this man who had been in this perpetual situation... It changed. I thought about, I just had a little fun with this. How long is eight years? Eight years is 417 weeks. How many days is in eight years? 2,920. How many hours is in eight years? 70,080. How many minutes? 4,204,801. How many seconds? 252,288,086. That's a long time. Say this with me. Just because I have been in a situation for a long time doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. Why do you think Luke the author of Acts put that little detail in that it had been eight years. Why did he put that in? It's not needed in the story. He put that in to encourage people that feel like they're, they're caught in a condition, they're caught in a circumstance, they're caught in a predicament that's never going to end. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit just wants to just tell somebody today, just because it's been that way doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. And God has hope for you, and he wants to do something fresh in your life. And before I go to the last point in this sermon, would you raise your hand right now and say, Lord, be that unto me. Lord, change my circumstance. And I say to you, as Peter said to Ananias, who was paralyzed, in the name of Jesus, may your situation change. Say it with me. In the name of Jesus, the Lord is going to change my situation. And the Trojan champion who had been paralyzed stood up and he had a different kind of life. Had a different kind of life. Now, the last story that we have just a few minutes for. The last story in this is about a woman by the name of Dorcas that got... um, 
that got, she was raised from the dead. And that's a really cool story. Dorcas, now she's called two things. She's called Dorcas and she's called Tabitha. Now, why is she called Dorcas and Tabitha? Isn't it confusing enough? The Bible is confusing enough to start with. Why do you have Dorcas and Tabitha? Now, listen, here's maybe something you didn't know. Maybe this will help you as you read the Bible. Um, Here's something to think about. Jesus, what language did Jesus speak? He spoke Aramaic, which sort of a kind of a newer version of Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic, and the, the apostles spoke Aramaic. Now, Jesus, our, our Luke, when he's writing the book of Acts, he's writing to Greek people, people that are in the Greek world, and that's a whole interesting story about why everybody, you know, in the Mediterranean world spoke Greek because of Alexander the Great, spell, uh, spreading Hellenism and all that. So, uh, Tabitha is Aramaic. It's how, what, how Peter would say it, Tabitha. In fact, when, you, when he says to her, rise and be healed, he says Tabitha because he's more comfortable with, with Aramaic than he is Greek. Greek, uh, Dorcas is Greek. And what does Tabitha and what does Dorcas mean? They mean the same thing. Tabitha and Dorcas mean the same thing. They mean gazelle. Her name is gazelle. Her name means gazelle, which I don't know. This woman's on the move. I mean, she's on the move. That's all I can come up with. She's on the move. And listen what it says about her. They say when, when she dies, they call for Peter. Put that map back up. Would you put the map back up, the white map? Not, oh, that's beautiful. Uh, here we go. <clears throat> so he's in Lydia and in Joppa. This is along the coast here. This is a beach town. It's a beach town. I've been up here. I haven't been to Joppa, but this is be- beautiful beach. Uh, Lydia, from Lydia to Joppa is 11 miles and Peter's at Lydia, and they hear, and somebody sends a message to him. They heard Peter was there, and he healed Ananias. They send for Peter, and he comes to Joppa, and he goes that 11 miles. And when he goes to Joppa, this woman, Dorcas or Tabitha, has died, and the people show Peter all the wonderful things that she did. She was a seamstress. She made beautiful robes. She made beautiful dresses, and they, they were weeping. And they showed, her, they showed Peter all the things that she made, and she made all of these garments to help the poor. This is what the text says. She helps the poor. She makes all these things. She uses her talent to help the poor. And they're weeping over Dorcas because Dorcas made such an incredible contribution. She helped people. She was a person who gave of her life to help other people. And they're weeping over Dorcas or Tabitha, weeping over here over her because she's, she's deceased and she's died and, and she's made such a great contribution. And people are upset because she's gone and they loved her and they miss her. And they also are know, they know that what are they going to do without her? Because she makes all this stuff to help the poor. It's the ministry that, of their church there. And what are they going to do without Dorcas? And they hear all these things that are being said about Dorcas. And actually what you have in this text is you have, you have what people are saying about her after she's dead. Let me ask a morbid question here this morning. Have you ever thought about what people are going to say about you after you're dead? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever got a group it together and, you know, get a few Diet Pepsis and some pretzels and just sit around and talk about what people are going to say about you when you die? Have you done that? 
What are people going to say about you when you're... You know, it's a shame, isn't it, that you don't get to go to your own funeral and hear what people are going to say? Isn't that a shame? And to come so close, you only miss it by a couple days. You know what I mean? I stole that joke from somebody, but it's a good joke. But they were, they were, they were lamenting, they were missing her because she made a difference with her life and she gave and she surrendered and she was a servant and her contribution was greatly missed because of all that she did. And I pray that as I live my life, I pray as I live my life when the Lord calls me home, I pray that I'll be missed because of what I did. The kingdom of God will surely roll on without me. But I, I pray that you're living your life in such a way that when you die, people are going to say, wow, what are we going to do without Jack? What are we going to do without him? He was always serving. He was always helping. He was always giving. You want to live, live your life that way. And let me just uh, quote this. I've got two more things I want to say before I end here. I'm going to quote what I quote all the time when I come to this point. I always want to quote John Wesley. John Wesley's thing. Here it is. You've heard this before. Do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. Isn't that good? Say it with me. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people, as long as ever you can. Before we end, and this, I got one more thing to say after this, so don't like think the sermon's over. Just lift your hands up to the Lord right now and say, Lord, Make my hands like the hands of Dorcas. Help me to serve. Help me to do good. Help me to sacrifice my life to be a blessing. Let me make beautiful things with my life. The way Dorcas made beautiful things with her life. Amen, amen. The last thing I want to say about this text is uh, Peter sent everybody out of the room. And he knelt down, which is an interesting little part of the story. He knelt down to pray by Dorcas's bed. And uh, I don't kneel a lot. I need to kneel more. When I read that text, I thought, you know, I, I pray walking a lot. But it's, it's something good every once in a while to kneel down. That's humbling to kneel on your knees. And uh, we don't do that a lot in our tradition here. And that's probably something we should work on. Um, it's hard to kneel on these hard floors. But anyhow, we should kneel at home and all that. Um, but it says when he said to her, uh, Jesus Christ, you know, be raised to Tabitha. He says, Tabitha, arise, is what he said to her. And she awoke. She was raised from the dead. And then he, he took her. Listen to this. He took her and he presented, presented her to the believers. So he took her and he reunited her with her friends. Isn't that beautiful? He took her, and it says he reunited her with the believers there. And when believers 
die and you got two believers they die at different times when when this is all done and we uh, breathe our last or Jesus comes we are reunited together and we see a little picture in this story of what it's going to be like when people get to heaven we see people that are have been separated by death and then Peter reunites them and they, she she's reunited to the believers I love, I love what 1 Thessalonians says, and I'm going to uh, read that real quickly here to you. 1 Thessalonians says this. It says in verse, it's talking about the second coming of the Lord. It's verse 13 of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Grief is permissible, but we don't grieve like people who have no hope. And then in verse 17, talking about the coming of the Lord. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. 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 All of us together. So I was in Jamaica a number of years ago, and I was teaching uh, at a youth with a mission camp, and uh, it's called YWAM for short. Had a really great time, and I'm at this, I'm at this uh, camp in Jamaica, beautiful palm trees, just beautiful. Jamaica's just gorgeous. And I was uh, teaching, and how it worked was these kids had been together for six months, and they had become tight. They were bonded. And what happened was I was teaching half the group because at the end of the training, the discipleship training course that they were going through, at the end of the training, they had to do a six-week stint where they went to a mission group, a uh, mission trip somewhere. And, uh, and so what they did is they split it in half. So I'm talking to the group that's already done their mission trip, and I'm teaching them. I'm there for a whole week. I'm teaching them. And the other group is away on their mission trip, and they're going to be coming back at the end, and I'm going to be speaking at the graduation. So I'm teaching. I'm giving my best stuff. I'm teaching in, in Jamaica, and these maybe 30, 40 kids in front of me, and the other 30, 40 kids or, or 30 kids or whatever have, have gone on a mission trip, but they're coming back. So I'm in the middle of my teaching one day, and I'm like, I'm waxing eloquent. I mean, I'm doing it. I'm teaching the Word. I'm anointed. It's all going good. And, and as I'm teaching, a school bus comes in with the group that's been gone. School bus drives up to the camp while I'm teaching. The school bus comes up, and these kids that are in front of me that I'm teaching, they know that their friends that have been gone are back. So in the middle of my most incredible points, the whole group gets up and leaves. I'm standing there in front of empty chairs, and they left and they ran out there, and the bus is unloading, and they're hugging each other, and they're crying, and they're slinging snot everywhere, and they're just loving on each other. And I walk out there, you know, the, the jilted teacher, I walk out there and just watch this reunion. And I'm hugging people and crying. I don't even know who these people are. It's just so much fun. But it's a little, little picture little picture 
what heaven's going to be like. And Peter, he brought Dorcas to the believers. And I'm telling you what, there's some hugging, there's some crying, there's some slinging snot going on there too. Because they're back together. Now I know some of you, you've got some people that you deeply love, that love Jesus and they're in heaven. And let me tell you something, this text gives you a little picture of what it's going to be like that one day you're going to be with that loved one again and you're going to hug them because the Lord is going to present you together and you're going to be together. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, and we'll be caught up and we will be, we, we, plural, we will ever be with the Lord. We will ever be with the Lord. Would you lift your hands to the Lord this morning? We don't grieve as people who have no hope, but we are people that are of the great hope. We have been called by God, anointed by God, chosen by God. Regardless of how bleak your life looks, let me tell you something. You have, in God's word, incredible promises about you and your future. So, Lord, I just pray your blessing over us as we enter into a brand new week. We thank you for that, that what we have been and what we've been, the condition we've been in is not going to be forever and you're going to help us and we thank you for doing a great thing in our life and we just present ourselves to you as your servants and we love you and bless you in Jesus name and everybody said amen and amen.